With that, let's, uh, let's open up with a word of prayer this morning. Father God, we come before you as we contemplate uh, the, the, the year that is behind us and the year that lies in front of us. And Lord, there are many regrets that we might have from the, the last year, many hopes and desires and ambitions which lay before us. But Father, I pray that we would commit this morning to put you in the center of all of it that we would lay our regrets on you, that we would cast all of our hopes and desires upon you. And Father, we would make our lives count for something glorious this morning and awesome this morning. But we want to be a people whose lives matter and count and mean something. So Father, we need your help in order to make all of this come to pass. And it's in Jesus' beautiful name we pray. Amen. Um, you can go ahead and open your Bibles. Just know it's going to be a minute before we kind of get there. Uh, Timothy, um, specifically uh, Timothy chapter, uh, Timothy, First Timothy chapter four. But it's going to be a minute before we get there. Probably right at the end of the sermon, we'll kind of hit there. But but what I want to do in our time together this morning is kind of give you a vision for where, where where are we going this year? What are we what are we planning? What are what are what are our hopes and dreams as a church? Uh, and how do, we, how do we make it come to pass? And what does it have to do with a life well lived? Well, over the next four or five months, I want to really be contemplating who we are in Christ. Like, like who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us, and what it means for us, and then how we are to, to walk that out. Not only individually, but how do we do that together? How do we do that corporately? Uh, so, a, a life well lived, this sermon series that we're opening up with over the next four or five weeks, uh, is specifically about you, who, who you are to be in Christ. Uh, what, what does Christ's glorious death on the cross do for you? What does it mean about how you are to walk in this life? And then after that, uh, the next sermon series, we'll be uh, looking at who we are together collectively in Christ. So specifically as this local church, like what does it mean for us to do life together? And then after that, we'll be looking to understand like how does, how does God design the church to work in such a way? And like he's put leaders over top of us, right? So the leadership structure of this church, we're going to look at that and understand if we align, if there's things that we need to change. And things like that. So again, the, the se- I'm not one who's big on um, themes, by the way. I don't know if you've noticed this. This is now my second, third January here. I'm, I'll be three years in April um, at this church. Uh, I'm not, and I've never once done like an annual theme for the year because I kind of find them kind of a cliche and kind of silly. Uh, just, just talking off the cuff here. That's just who I am. But, uh, but as I begin to think, and as I've now been here for two and a half years. Uh, there, there's things that I've seen in our church that, that we kind of need to work on. Right, there's, some, there's, some, there's some issues, there's some things, there's some weeds in the garden, if you will, that perhaps we need to dig out. And so I figure, I, I was thinking over the last couple weeks, I think I've been here long enough to maybe step on some toes. Is that okay? We're going to find out. We're going to find out if it's okay. Uh, but, but all of it in love and grace and truth. I want to start this morning and start this series specifically around understanding and realizing that most of you, I don't, who here does uh, resolutions? Just raise your hand. Just go ahead and out yourself. Nobody. So maybe one or two of you. Okay, that's okay. You don't have to raise your hand. That's all right. 
Um, the resolutions are a good thing. Uh, you should read Jonathan Edwards' resolutions. They're phenomenal. Um, uh, I, I'm not one too, too much to give into resolutions, but I think uh, this time of year specifically causes us all to kind of sit back and wonder, um, does our life count? Uh, is our life important? Am I living a life of significance? Because at the bottom of it all, none of us really want to waste our lives. I think about it. What older person do you know that hasn't reminisced, ah, I wish I would have done this different, or uh, this is what, how you actually should live? But one of our primary problems as, as human beings is that we've lost what it means to live a, a life well lived. We've lost what it means to define what success in life actually looks like. We've lost as human beings what actually matters. And so we look to other things. We look to careers to define who we are. Or physical fitness. Or family. Or, or comfort in this world. Or escape from suffering. The avoidance of loss. Physical pleasures. Amassing large amounts of money or fame. And we define who we are in light of all these things. And we're saying, this is the purpose of life. This is why God's created us. This is the meaning of it all. Now, none of us would actually verbalize this, right? We would never say the meaning and purpose of life is that we avoid all sorts of loss and pain. And yet we live like this. We live in such a way that our goal is to avoid all sorts of loss, all sorts of pain. And we're saying that, well, that's really the reason for it all. That's the purpose behind it all. That's the purpose of life. And one of the great tragedies to occur in the result of the fallenness of mankind is the fact that a lot of times we're often left aimless. We're lost aimless. We're left aimless. We don't, we don't know what to do. And so we're given to uh, simply doing nothing or, or chasing the wrong things. Right? This led atheist Bertrand Russell right at the end of his life to say, there is darkness without. And when I die, there will be darkness within. There is no splendor, no vastness anywhere, only triviality for a moment, and then nothing. Where Shakespeare in, in Macbeth, he says, Out, out, brief candle. Life's but a wake, walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. You see, we are desperately lost, aimless, not sure if there's, if there's any point in life. This is the great tragedy of the state of humankind in our fallen condition. We know neither our creator, and therefore we do not know the purpose for which we were created. And so let me help you out. The, the meaning of life. Pastor, well, then what is the meaning? Bertrand Russell couldn't figure it out. Shakespeare and Macbeth couldn't figure it out. So, Pastor, what do you have for us this morning? The purpose of life, the meaning of life is to know God and to love God, to reflect the beauty of God as we know him in Christ. You say, well, how, can you prove that from Scripture, Pastor, because we're all here because of one book? That's true. Let me just give you a list. I'll just read them off. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. 
Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Rejoice rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. You see, the purpose of life, the reason for which God created the world is so that you might know him and glorify him. That's If you wanted to sum it up, if you wanted to put at the bottom of the foundation of your life this point, God has created you to know him and to love him and to glorify him, then Christian, you will not be lost in this world. As a matter of fact, that would actually then shape every other aspect of your life. You see, that would be the soil in which you planted your family. That would be the soil in which you planted your career. Now, you might be here today thinking, Pastor, we know this. We know our lives mean nothing outside of Christ. We know the reason for which God created the world was so that he would be glorified. And the reason for which God created us is so that we would reflect his glory throughout all the world. We know that Christ came to the world to die a death he did not deserve so that he could redeem those who are far from God and give us right standing before a holy and just and righteous God. We know this, Pastor. To which I would say, amen. This is gloriously true. However... The more I study church history, reflecting upon my own time in the church, the big church, not just this church, the last 15 years or so, of which nearly half has been in ministry, I'm stricken by the fact that while we know salvation very well, and we often memorize, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. We have missed the fact that our lives matter more than simply going to heaven when we die. You see, Protestant Christianity has boiled down the entire book of Scripture to two points. I don't know if you realize this. Protestant Christianity, two points. You ready? Be saved and go to heaven when you die. You might be thinking, well, there there it is, Pastor. In a nutshell, that's the entire Scripture. That's the whole book. Genesis, Revelation, be saved, go to heaven when you die. And I'm here to tell you, if that's the way you look at the Scriptures then you have missed a great, glorious adventure between these two events. If all you see when you open the scriptures are, be saved, go to heaven when you die, maybe tell a few people along the way about this Jesus, then you're missing the full and great, glorious adventure between these two events. You see, when we do this, we truncate the full beauty of the gospel. Most of us have been taught to see the Bible and the Christian life in terms of black and white right and wrong, and we miss that God wants us to see an LED, 4K, UHD, 3D, full collar. I'm going to say it again. We miss that God wants us to see an LED, 4K, UHD, 3D, full collar. That's the description of a new TV I Googled this morning. <laughs> Let me give you two examples that prove that this truncation of the Christian life 
is actually happening without perhaps you even noticing it. One from recent history and the other from Scripture. So two, two instances that prove that we have, in fact, truncated the gospel to simply be saved and go to heaven when you die and not quite sure what to do in the middle. Two examples. One, social justice. How many remember the year 2020? Now, I know most of you have been trying to, like Pastor, we've been trying to forget that ever since it happened. But listen, as we reflect on what did happen, let me point out that there was a large thing going on within the church with social justice. Those two camps within the Christian evangelical world, one which said, doesn't Jesus love the poor? Doesn't Jesus love the oppressed? Doesn't Doesn't the gospel speak to the lowest class of society? You know what the other group was saying? Hey, pastor, just preach the gospel. Just, just, just preach the gospel. Stay out of politics. Stay out of the social environment. Just preach the gospel. And listen, both sides are wrong. And yet both sides are right. You see, the group that says just preach the gospel, what they don't want to be conflicted with is how do we actually walk out the Christian, Christian life in our environment today? So you got a lot of white evangelicals like, I don't want to hear about all the oppression and all this. Just preach the gospel, Pastor. Tell me Jesus loves me. Tell me he died for me. He did. It's true. And yet he's called us to live a certain way and redeem a society in which we live. And yet the group that says, doesn't Jesus just love the poor and the oppressed forget that the individuals are the ones who need saved? You see, both are wrong. You see, we've truncated the gospel down to be saved and go to heaven when you die. We're not quite sure how to interact in the world. Let me give you one from Scripture in case you don't believe me. Go ahead and flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I'll wait. It's important you see this. Most of us don't, don't quite know how to handle 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if we're honest. Here Paul's addressing the Corinthian church. He's addressing some uh, disunity, divisions within the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look at verse 1 with me. He says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants to whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. For if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, look at this, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, he's got these people in the Corinthian church arguing, right? I follow Paul, I follow Paulus, 
And they're saying, well, this camp's better than that camp. And Paul's like, no, 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 you guys, you guys got it twisted. He says, Jesus Christ alone is the foundation upon which the rest of us all build our lives. And what he says here in verse 14 and 15 is massively important for us to kind of re-grasp an understanding of. Because what Paul just said is he says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Now think about this. How do you think about rewards in heaven? How do you think about understanding that the impact of what you're doing today will affect the rest of your eternity? You see, most of us have been conditioned and taught and trained in the sense that, well, it's only Jesus Christ alone, therefore uh, all your crowns in heaven will be thrown before the feet of the Lord, uh, and therefore there are no rewards in heaven. And yet, yeah, Paul seems to be saying here, there's going to be a reward. He doesn't go into detail on what that reward is, but he's saying, no, no, no there's, a, there's a continuity between this life 